Welcome to 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Each month, our hosts, Casey, Derek and Scott, take a look at the film catalogue of the legendary Hammer Films production, one picture at a time. Covering everything from the famous Hammer gothic horror films to their science fiction films, their thrillers, their film noirs and comedies, this podcast will offer critical opinion, production notes and historical facts about the films that make Hammer great. Make yourself comfortable, have a cup of tea, and welcome to 1951 Down Place. Hello and welcome everyone to episode number 48 of the 1951 Down Place podcast, your home for Hammer Films discussion on the web. I'm one of your hosts, Scott, Casey and Derek will be along in a few minutes. In today's episode, we return to Sherwood Forest to meet back up with Robin Hood and his Merry Men as we review 1967's A Challenge for Robin Hood. The film stars Barry Ingram as Robin, James Hader as Friar Tuck, Leon Green as Little John. The film was directed by C.M. Pennington Richards. Now, Hammer utilized Bodum Castle and Black Park as shooting locations for this film that includes lots of archery, robbing from the rich, green outfits, and a tussle that ends in a custard pie fight. Yeah, you heard me right. So what do Casey, Derek, and Scott think of Hammer's third Robin Hood film? We'll find out right after these messages. New this fall on U52, it's the game show that's sweeping the nation. It's a challenge for Robin Hood with your host, Much Mitchell. The show is part trivia. Okay, Kevin, how many free men does it take to equal ten hired soldiers? One free man defending his home is more powerful than ten hired soldiers. Crusades taught me that. Judges? Oh, I'm sorry, we were looking for two, two free men. It's part interview process. Errol, you've been wrongly accused of stealing your neighbor's newspaper each morning. How do you handle this situation? I'll organize revolt. Exact a death for a death. And I'll never rest until every Saxon in the Shire can stand up free men and strike a blow for Richard in England. And you, Carrie, why do you think you should be named the winner of a challenge for Robin Hood? Because, unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. And And finally, the the real real crowd pleaser, pleaser, the the fight fight demonstrations. demonstrations. Daffy, what weapon are you going to demonstrate tonight? With my trusty quarterstaff. Actually, it's a buck and a quarter quarterstaff, but I'm not telling him that. Oh, ha-ha, guard, turn, parry, dodge, spin, ha thrust. Hmm, let's see now. Something to miss here. Hmm, I'll run through it. Uh, ho, ha-ha, guard, turn, parry, dodge, spin, ha, thrust. Got it. All of these contestants vie to be the leader of the Merry Men on a challenge for Robin Hood, where no man wants to be eliminated. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael, but you have been eliminated. Do you have any last words for the viewers at home? Sir, I protest. I am not a Merry Man. It's a challenge for Robin Hood this fall on U52, a proud sponsor of the 1951 Down Place podcast, your home for Hammer Films discussion on the web. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, 
Princess Leia. Jean Grey. Darth Maul. Nick Fury. Grand Moff Tarkin. Captain America. Lando Calrissian. Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. In 1967, Hammer went back to the well, the Robin Hood well. Uh, This is the third time they would adapt the legend of Robin Hood for the silver screen. And in 2015, 1951 Downplace goes back to the Robin Hood well a third time to cover the challenge for Robin Hood. I am Derek M. Cook. We have Scott Morris and Casey Criswell on the line. Hey. Break into this film. (laughs) How's it going, fellas? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it too early for us to be merry men? I am quite merry, thank you. I'm, I'm wearing my best tights, too. Well, that didn't take long. Uh, I, I was wondering who would come to that first if I didn't already do so in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing Scott's tights. I'm just using his line. (laughs) Thank God for that. That's good. I'm not wearing Scott's tights either. Oh, I am. I've got nothing. So, um, yeah, that took about less than a minute for us to get off track. Is that a record? It may be. I think the only thing that would make that better if somebody dropped a Joni Loves Chauncey joke. God, I want to see Scott Bale play Robin Hood. You just want to see Scott Bayo in tights. Tight tights. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I think we're can you missing- imagine if all the Merry Men, if you, can you imagine if Robin Hood and his Merry Men all wore uh, like sweatpants? It wouldn't be the same. Yoga pants. <laughs> I think we're just missing one thing Peter oh, Cushing. So, yeah, well, yeah. Aren't we always missing Peter Cushing? True. <laughs> Uh, a challenge for Robin Hood. Is this the last Robin Hood film that uh, Hammer did? You know, at one point I thought they did four, but I'm thinking they only did three because I forgot how to count. We can hope so, right? Eh? <laughs> oh, it wasn't that bad, was it? No, I joke. Yeah, this is the uh, the third Robin Hood film 
the previous films we've covered here on the show. Does anybody know off the top of their head what episodes they were? I can look. Yeah. That would be a resounding no. Ha ha ha, you act like we're prepared. We covered The Men of Sherwood Forest in episode number 22 in June 2013. And we covered The Sword of Sherwood Forest in episode 34 in June of 2014. I barely remember The Men of Sherwood Forest. I believe we liked The Friar in that one, but I don't remember much more about it. I think that's what we came uh, to the conclusion was The Friar was the best part of that one. And, of course, we liked The Sword of Sherwood Forest because of the aforementioned Sir Peter Cushing. Oh, of course. A little bit of Cushing makes everything better. (laughs) More Cushing, less pushing. Uh, You know, (laughs) before we started recording, ladies and gentlemen, Casey says, I'm firing on more than enough cylinders today, so this is going to be fun. I hope whoever's editing this drops in some spinal tap there. (laughs) <laughs> Casey yes that's on you <laughs> note to step <laughs> so a challenge for Robin Hood this was a first time viewing for the three of us right it was yep same here and it is filled with a number of people that might have some hammer connections but not nearly as many as say like the gothic horror films or the films that we've covered here on the show this was a first time director cm pennington richards uh directing under the name pennington richards this was his first film in the director's chair uh he was a cinematographer as well okay you know what that may not be the case actually no, he did something called The Horse's Mouth in 1953. I had a source that said this was his first time directing. This source is wrong because clearly I wouldn't make that mistake. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like I, When you asked me that, like you thought I knew anything about this movie. This is like <laughs> one of his last. Maybe that's what I read. Yes. He did two more know. after this and then that was it. He did a movie called Ladies Who Do right before this one. Yeah. I have no idea what it's about, but I like the title. The ladies who do are office cleaners. One of them discovers some hot stock tips and they make a fortune. Then they make good use of it and save their old neighborhoods from the wicked developer. That's not what I imagine they do. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound nearly as exciting. Ladies they do, 1963. Yeah, the 60s, come on now. Swinging 60s. So here's where I got hung up. In the Hammer Films and Exhaustive Filmography, they refer to him as a fledgling director. And I think in my mind, my brain read that as first-time director. So uh, I, I don't know if I agree with that, though, because like you said, he's been directing since 1953. How fledgling is that? Well, he didn't fledgle much more after this because he only did a few more movies than he was done. Yeah, <laughs> Danny the fledgle. Dragon and uh, Sky Pirates as a director. I'm not familiar maybe with it's one of those works. British terms that have maybe it's one of those British terms that have a uh, different meaning over there than it does for us uh, colonists. They, uh, you know, over here, fledgling means new. Over there, fledgling means eh. <laughs> it means what? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Based on what I'm seeing here, it looks like that the person who probably had the most experience with Hammer was the writer. 
Peter Bryan, who had also worked on things like Count of the Baskervilles, Brides of Dracula, Plague of the Zombies. So we have a little bit of a, a Hammer connection here, but not really a lot. In fact, I don't know if I would have marked or, or picked this out as a Hammer film if I had seen it without knowing it was a Hammer film. Well, from, yeah. what, from what I read, most of the normal Hammer crew was finishing up working on Quatermass in the Pit at this time. In fact, this film just uh, that film finished uh, shooting just a few days before this one started. And a lot of the crew that worked on that film did not transfer over to do this one. Okay. Which I got to say, if you're going to, you know, if you're on the crew and you're going to choose which project you're going to work on, I'd say that's a strong choice. Quatermass or Robin Hood? Who yes. wins in a fight? Who wins in a fight? <laughs> How close Depends are on you? if there's bows and arrows. Exactly. <laughs> It also appears that they had some sort of commitment at the time, and I don't know if that was through the producer, the releasing company, to do some family-friendly films as well as their horror movies. And this was a movie that was built around fulfilling that commitment. I'm not aware of what that commitment might have been. I'd have to dive deep, I think, to see what production company required what or was it a thing with the – I don't know, the industry at the time in the UK, I don't know. But this is referred to as a movie that was designed to fulfill a commitment. But I feel like, and maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, I feel like the film more than succeeds in that department. It's not just a, let's make a movie and call it good. I feel like everybody kind of tries hard to make a decent flick. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting, too, though, with the angle of that they're doing this more as more of a family-friendly venture. Uh, friendly venture. To fill that obligation because, I mean, granted, there's no blood and guts or anything like that in this in this movie. It was the 60s and all. But, the, I mean, this is a fairly violent movie for what you would consider normally a family movie. There's a lot of a lot of fighting, a lot of dudes getting shot with arrows. So There are a lot of arrow shots. A lot. Yeah. But very little blood, like you said. Yeah. It reminded me in that regard, which is a stretch, um, the Antonio Banderas – movie Zorro that had tons of people getting chopped up and run through with swords and all that, but nobody bled. Yeah. So it kind of had that feel to me. Well, I haven't thought of that film in a long time. Yeah. I don't know why it popped into my head because <laughs> I very rarely reserve mind space for Antonio Banderas, but well, wasn't Catherine hey, Jones in that as well. Maybe that's it. Either that or Anthony Hopkins. No, it was Jones, I think. I need a moment. Okay, no, it was Jones. <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> uh, some of the other people involved in the movie. Uh, let's see, I mentioned Peter Bryan. He was the writer. Uh, shall we talk about some of the cast? We got Barry Ingham, who is Robin. And, ah, maybe this is where I was getting mixed up because I didn't have a lot of coffee. This may have been his first film. Mm. He was not a bad Robin Hood, but at the same time, I had problems with this movie because he really blended in with everybody else. Damn it. No, this wasn't his first film. I'm nope. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> he's, he's, he, his first film was in 61, The Fourth Square. Sorry. Go ahead, Casey. <laughs> I'm going stop, I'm to stop saying that. This I'm is just going to say podcast. <laughs> yes. This is the first time I've appeared on 1951 Town Plays, or at least it sounds like it. 
<laughs> yeah, but he didn't really stand out from the rest of the group at the very beginning. It took me a good 20 minutes to figure out who Robin, which one was Robin Hood in this movie, it seemed. Well, I think a lot Maybe of that that's had, my attention span. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they kind of played with the Robin Hood uh, mythos, and Robin doesn't come from where he does normally, which I'm sure we'll get into that's later. Right. Oh, it looks like he was in Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yes, he was. Which is not a Hammer film, but uh, a movie that Casey and I should talk about on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. What do you think, buddy? I think so. All right. Sometime in the next five years. Yeah, you know, Scott and I don't keep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I felt like he didn't really stand out. And we'll talk about the story in a second because I also did not think he was going to be Robin Hood. Or somebody else was going to be a Robin Hood. See, we got Friar Tuck, and it seems like the Friar in these movies tends to stand out. He's the one that's given the comedy lines in these yeah. films. Yeah. Yeah. James Reader was his name. And in case you're wondering, this was not his first film. Are you <laughs> sure? It wasn't even the first time he played Friar Tuck, I think. No, that is true. He did he did play Friar Tuck once before. In the story of Robin Hood and his Merry Men. In nineteen also Oliver. Oliver. Mm-hmm. But you're missing Oliver. the fact that he was in Four Sided Triangle as well. Oh, was he? Yes, he was. He was Dr. Harvey. Oh. He was. Is that the one with the rabbit? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Who just I broke? I don't remember seeing him. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. but um, um. So he's he was an all right friar. He had his comedy lines. He was larger than life, physically, and you know, character. So stop eating character those damn pies. I know he was still pale in comparison to our favorite uh, friar from the earlier film, though. I think. The drunk one? <laughs> the drunk one. Yeah, he didn't drink near as much as uh, earlier Tux in the Hammer Robin Hood film series. Right. And I wonder if that had to do with him trying to keep it a little more family friendly. Well, the Less yeah, booze, more gluttony. <laughs> well, the previous two Robin Hood films were popular. I think they were both released in the UK during the Christmas break. So they were aimed at families and kids who are out of school. Right. Which makes sense. Drunk Friar, okay. Because <laughs> they're on Christmas vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Now let's watch a religious man get drunk. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. We Some of the other main players from the Robin Hood mythos are in this story. We've got a Maid Marian. We've got an yeah, Little John. I want to talk about Little John real quick. He was played by Leon Green. Now, while this was not his first film, the name of his first film was How to Undress in Public Without Undue Embarrassment. From 1965. Right. That's right. I found Little John a little confusing in this movie because he didn't end up being who I thought he was going to be either. You know, and I wonder, maybe this is something we can sidetrack real quick. Casey, what was your first Robin Hood film? Uh Probably Disney's, the animated one. Scott? The Disney one. Yeah, me too. And I wonder if our impression of Robin Hood is 
tainted by singing foxes and dancing bears and Alan O'Dale strumming his uh, guitar looking thing. Like, oh, what's the word? It's not a leer. Mandolin. No? A yeah, whatever. The I don't know. Whatever. The cock singing. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder how – and I don't mean that. You know, he's, a, he's a rooster. Anyway. Yes, you did. <laughs> I wonder how much of our thoughts of Robin Hood are formed by that. Robin Hood and Little John writing for the – you know, they're being buddy-buddy, that sort of thing. And I feel like in this one, we don't have that immediate connection between Little John and Robin Hood. And, and anytime I see a movie where that doesn't happen – I feel a little bit of a disconnect. So it's like, they're supposed to be bros, man, you know? Well, there's that. But they, for me, there was also, though, there was a member of the Merry Men when Robin Hood first meets up with them that I, there was a guy there that I thought was going to end up being Little John. He was taller. He was bigger than most of the rest of them. He had the bow staff, which at one point, which I've always associated with Little John. Right. Be it from the Disney movie, be it from the Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck cartoons, uh, you know, all those <laughs> Dodge Perry turn spin. I've always associated that bow staff with uh, Little John, so I thought that this guy was going to end up being there. So then, this is another element where they've tweaked the story some. I'm assuming I've never read the original Robin Hoods, but I'm assuming that the story got the origins got tweaked here again because uh, Little John, spoiler alert, ends up being like the X Men Arms from the castle. He's a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the character that you mistaken. Uh, for Little John is actually Alan the Dale. Right. And I, I knew he wasn't Little John because they actually call him Alan early on in the film. When uh, when the, the the man that becomes Robin meets up with him, he is actually called by Alan the Dale. And so I knew he wasn't going to be Little John, but if you missed that, I can see where you would think that, especially with the um, uh, quarter staff fight. Yeah. And when we end up finally meeting the actual Little John, they don't look all that different either. <laughs> right. So, you know, again, I wonder if it's because our first Robin Hood was the Disney version where, you know, Robin Hood and Little John were tight, you know, tight. They were bros. But uh, I don't know. Maybe the original story. Well, it's not really even an original story. It's more of a, an epic poem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The original Robin Hood. And I, I would have to go back and reread that, I suppose. It's been years since I've read that. Yeah, in this film, he's actually more of a friend with uh, Will Scarlet. Right. Yeah. Who isn't even in the Disney film, right? I don't. Is he? I don't remember. Nope. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's, it may be blasphemous to say this, but the first time I encountered Will Scarlet in a film was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. When Christian Slater says, fuck me, he cleared it. <laughs> because that's totally, you know, in sync with the era and the time and something that Will Scarlet would say at that period. <laughs> now, early on watching this film, I I saw that they were juggling around the whole mythos. And once I realized that, I just kind of let go of my preconceptions of Robin Hood and, and what I knew about it and, and really got into the film. And I kind of oh, yeah. enjoyed some of the changes that they made in, in his origin and everything. I welcome them because really, how many times do we have to be told the origin story of Robin Hood? Yeah. So tweak it. Change it up a little bit. I'm fine with that. And as much as we're – as much as I'm kind of grousing about Little John's role in the film – I liked him as a character. I liked that there's this big wrestling guy who likes to laugh and sing and he's bigger than life. But, oh, oh, oh. And, you know, that's my boy. I'm cool with that. 
And also he was in the Devil Rides Out, which, you know, there's our Hammer connection, another Hammer film he did, and we love that film, so. Yeah, and you talk about, like, the Robin Hood origin story, and even with the Hammer stories, I think the second one, uh, was it Sword of Sherwood, Sherwood Forest, was stepped away a little bit from the origin story oh, deal. Yeah. But they... Robin Hood as a character throughout the stories when it's been remade for a movie and TV and things like that, it suffers the superhero fate where they're always retelling the origin stories over and over. I would love to see. Yeah, I would love to see further adventures of Robin Hood and his Merry Men. They could do so much with with that. I feel like part of the issue is that the Robin Hood story usually has a definitive end when the king comes back and then all is forgiven and moving on. There's not it's not open ended. And this and, film is definitely open-ended. Yeah. 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 They made it. To, wasn't there somewhere in the 90s, a Robin, a 90s, early 2000s, a Robin Hood TV show? Well, there's been Where multiple they, Robin Hood TV shows, but hmm. There's one that was something along the lines of Xena and all those, to those types of shows. Yes, 2006 to 2009. But again, that that kind of tells the same story of Robin Hood from when he comes back from the Crusades and blah blah blah. Right. I never actually watched it. I'm just wondering if that would be a place where we might find more of those further adventures. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the cast real quick before we get too far into it. We mentioned a few other characters. Eric Flynn is Alan O'Dale. Uh, we have. Blah. <laughs> Gay Hamilton is made Marion. Uh, we have uh, Morgan Freeman as Azim. We have – I'm kidding. <laughs> the Sheriff of Nottingham is who I'm trying to get to, John Arnett. And I just want to bring him up because he was in the Adventures of Robin Hood TV show as the Sheriff of Nottingham. So he came back to play that role, which like the previous film that we did in the Robin Hood cycle, uh, the guy who played Robin Hood in that was the Robin Hood in that TV show. So yeah. we, we have a little bit of a connection to the TV show. There, which Hammer had nothing to do with. I'm a little torn on that character and John Arnett's portrayal of Sheriff of Nottingham. I'm not sure that I would have invited him back if it were me. You know, I would have invited him back long before I invited back the guy who played Robin Hood. I was not a fan of him. Yeah. Now, see, I liked both of those, but I would not bring back Roger. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the character I didn't like. Roger DeCourtney, played by Peter Blythe. He did. Is he, he the Fosse one? <laughs> no, that was the sheriff. I that was the sheriff. He was the uh, the guy that uh, took over after the the Pr- Prince John died. Ah, that's actually who I was thinking of. Yeah, he's the evil the evil cousin. He wasn't yeah. evil. I mean, he I never got I know. A, a strong he evil was, feeling <laughs> off of him. He was a sniveling he was idiot. A, yes, he was a spoiled child. Yep. A little bit of sociopath. And completely <laughs> clueless on how to run that kingdom, which we see by the end of the, <laughs> that little feat. Bring us wine. Right? We're out of wine. Well, fine. Yeah. Bring us mead. And then later, ale. What the hell? <laughs> so, we yeah, don't have it, no food. Yeah, if it wasn't for the sheriff, there, he wouldn't have been able to do anything. Yeah. He was kind of a ridiculous uh, villain. Not because he wasn't bad enough. I mean, he's a selfish brat, but. Yeah. Just as a character, yeah. If Robin Hood and them had just left him alone, he would have run himself into the ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was no, 
you know? Yeah, if he didn't have the sheriff, he, he Robin would have just, you know, hang out there in the woods for, you know, a couple of months and... Um, and walk in and take over. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, really. I mean, that wouldn't make it a very exciting movie, but yeah, just wait him out. It's like a siege without having to do anything. Exactly. I do like the sheriff, though. I mean, oh, I did. I like the sheriff a lot. He's yeah. not my favorite sheriff. I mean, Peter Cushing is the man, and I really like him from the previous film. But this sheriff, John Arnett, was he had a sense of evil, but he was kind of playful about it. <laughs> I like, yeah, a little, sw- yeah, yeah. And I, I kept him. waiting for him to take over and take out Roger at some point to become the big bad of the film. I thought about halfway through the film that the sheriff would just have enough of Roger's incompetence and take over. Or he would have stood back. I could also see this sheriff also standing back, seeing uh, Roger's incompetence and standing back and waiting for him to let it run low enough so he could walk in and take over as well. Yeah, Yeah. that was the impression I got. I see that as more, I see that as more of his style than like a hostile takeover. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And he's, just doesn't care. I mean, he's got this sense of this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. It's cool. Yeah. And even to the point where Roger calls him out on knowing that Robin Hood and his men were actually at the freaking fair. You knew. Meh. It's my, I make it my <laughs> job to know. Meh. Meh. <laughs> Uh, so I did like him. Some of the other players, I mean, we'll probably talk about them as we go if they become important. But again, uh, outside of being told it's a Hammer film, it didn't really feel Hammerish to me. I mean, the music's yeah, by Gary Hughes, who isn't somebody that I associate with Hammer. I mean, I know he did a few others, but a few other Hammer films. But again, it just seems like this standalone piece more so than well, obviously the previous Hammer film because it's got no cushing for the pushing. But you- even production wise was a big was a big difference. It really it did not have a hammer studio feel in the slightest. It kind of almost felt like something like a TV movie or something that you would see. Which is odd because the cinematographer Arthur Grant had worked on a number of Hammer films. Taste the Blood of Dracula, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, which we're doing next month. So he had worked on a number of Hammer movies, but it just feels kind of perfunctory. It doesn't yeah. have that lush feel to it that, say, like Sword of Sherwood Forest had. I would have to think that a challenge for Robin Hood might have been a challenge for him, too, because they didn't have as many uh, studio set type pieces. It was mm. all, a lot of it, you know, took place outside. So yeah. it might be something that he wasn't quite as uh, familiar with working with, too, that made a difference. Or they didn't have the equipment to deal with that as well as they would have liked to. We don't talk a lot about the editors of these movies on this show, but I do want to mention the editor on this. His name is Chris Barnes, and I only call him out because I really did not like the editing in this movie. I felt the chopping of the scenes was pretty ridiculous and laborious and sometimes nonsensical. Some fancy words for you. <laughs> Before 9 a.m. over here in my area, in my part of the world. Somebody got a new thesaurus. Or a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I find it, just some of the choices in terms of where the cutting's taking place. And I know some of that's probably the director as well, deciding what to cut in where and, and offering guidance in the editing room. But 
uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being overly critical at this point. Any, any thoughts from you two on that? I I wasn't. No, distracted. I'm gonna let you hang on that one. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Okay. okay. So clearly, I'm alone on this one. Sorry, Chris Barnes, you didn't do right by me. Work on it next time, would you, buddy? <laughs> Hey, hey, Chris, I I didn't notice your work, so I guess that's good. Actually, he's dead now. <laughs> now I feel terrible. He died in 2009. Thanks a lot, Chris. Oh, you meanie. But he did a lot of work for Hammer, though, so ah, whatever. What else do we want to say about the movie? Anybody know anything about the production of the film? There's very little material, at least in my research uh, library here, about the non-horror Hammer films. Scott, you have anything? Well, the one thing I, I did want to mention, and I think the the film being shot in England as opposed to a Hollywood film, um, it actually helped the fact that it was in England. Is uh, A quote from the New York Times original review was talking about how um, when with Robin and his outlawed Normans burrowing into Sherwood Forest and warring against a wicked nobleman in a lovely old moated castle that's fairly, that the fairly modest budget seldom allows. You know, the fact that being in England where castles exist really helped the fact that, you know, since they had a smaller budget, they were still able to use a real castle as opposed to something that Hollywood would have built that may not have looked as good. Just like in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. True. Yeah, just like it. Just like it. <laughs> I mean, the scene when Robin Hood was shooting the cows. If you do not agree to my commands, then I shall... Ah! Jesus Christ! Ah! Oh! Oh! oh, boy. The, the film seemed to do well. I mean, people seemed to dig it, right? Uh, I guess. I don't know how Are you it did. To us or the yeah. our viewers. There was a question. I mean, I, I don't know if Scott had anything. I, I didn't know if you had anything either. But no, I I don't have anything. I mean, New York Times review gave it a, a fairly positive review, right? Uh, but I don't have anything yeah. in terms of how much money it made or anything like that. Yeah, I forgot to stand out in the theater back in '67 and ask people what they thought when they came out. Damn it, Casey! You had one job. <laughs> I'm the only one that would have been even close, even though I wasn't born yet. I was born the next year, so <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Damn, I didn't know you were that old. Yep. So well, this got weird. <laughs> Shall we get into the connections? Yes, I think we should, because I'd like to hear if there's any Bond connections here. Bond. James Bond. There's actually two Bond connections, which I'm sure you guys are going to give me a hard time for. The first is Jim O'Brady. He was an uncredited peasant in A Challenge for Robin Hood, and he played an uncredited henchman in the second James Bond film, 1963's From Russia with Love. And my other connection is Fred Wood. He was another uncredited peasant in A Challenge for Robin Hood. And he played another uncredited henchman in From Russia with Love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go to Kickstarter and start a campaign to make a documentary about Fred Wood and his uncredited roles in these films. Now, my Disney connection is much better. Much better. I'm going to go with Barry Ingram, who was Robin Hood. He also played the Basil of Baker Street in 1986's The Great Mouse Detective. From Walt Disney Home Video, it's adventure. We've got a moment to lose. 
it's excitement. And it's coming your way. It's the Great Mouse Detective. Smile, everyone. He's Basil of Baker Street. Amazing. And he's teaming up with Toby, Dawson, and little Olivia to take on Ratigan, the world's biggest rat. What did you call me? You're a slimy, contemptible sewer rat. You're invited to join the fun with Walt Disney's classic, The Great Mouse Detective. There you go. So that's a little stronger than my uh, my Bond. Uh, just a touch. Just a touch. <laughs> Is that it? Don Falcos also gave me some Doctor Who references. Uh, the big one you've already mentioned, and that's uh, Barry Ingram. He played Aladon in the Peter Cushing film Doctor Who and the Daleks. And he also played Paris in the TV serial, serial The Myth Makers. Uh, John Arnett, who was the Sheriff of Nottingham, played Barossa in The Invasion of Time. Eric Flynn, who was Allendale, played Leo Ryan in The Wheel of Space. Reg Lye, who was Much, played Griffin in The Enemy of the World. William Squire, who was Sir John, played the Shadow in The Armageddon Factor. Donald Pickering, who was uh, Sir Yamil Pendlestone. Penny's Tone appeared in The Keys of the Marnins, Blade in The Faceless Ones, and Bayus in Time in the Ranny. Ronnie? Ranny? Say that three times quickly. <laughs> uh, John Harvey, who was Wallace, appeared as Professor Brent in The War Machines, and he was also in The Marka Terror. Arthur Hewitt, who was Edwin, played Calamar in the State of Decay and Kimber in the Terror of the Verd Voids. Norman Mitchell, who played Dre Driver, played a policeman in the Daleks Master Plan. Bill Brandon, who was Man at Arms, uncredited, was an uncredited extra in Marco Polo. Harry Fiedler. Marco Polo. Harry <laughs> Fiedler, who was Yokel, uncredited, whom we saw in The Vengeance of She, played Krang in Shanda in Shada, and a guard in the Armageddon Factor. Peter Diamond, he was the fighter ranger for this film, was a frequent actor in small, usually uncredited roles, and was the fighter ranger for eight Doctor Who stories. And uh, So in other words, you're saying this is uncredited, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Don has a special mention of George Stevenson, who was the sound mixer. Well, wow. While he never <laughs> appeared or worked on a Doctor Who project, but there was a real-life inventor named George Stevenson who appeared as a character in The Mark of the Ranny. And he oh, writes, yes, wow. I know this is a stretch, but I couldn't resist. Holy cow. Don. Wow. That was awesome. And you thought my uncredited peasants and uncredited henchmen was a stretch. <laughs> We're going with wow. somebody that has the same name. That was, that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. Thanks, Don. We really appreciate you uh, sending those in. Archer. Swordsman. Outlaw. Robin Hood. Champion of the poor. Now comes his greatest adventure as he challenges a tyrant and his men to crush a rule of terror. Yeah! 
I could kill you now, but you'll make a very fitting dancing partner to that other traitor, Scarlet. I'll run you through if you say again that he's a traitor. A challenge for Robin Hood. A fight for a prize of gold. A challenge for Robin Hood to spring an innocent man from a baited trap. You dance! To the gallows with him. Robin Hood, the nobleman who became an outlaw. An outlaw who became a legend. Who defended the weak and defied the strong. Here he is with his merry band of men. The bustling Friar Tuck. Battling Little John. The villainous Roger de Courtenay. And the lovely Maid Marian. Challenge for Robin Hood. The big screen is ablaze with his daring new adventures. Well, I'm going to do my best when it comes to this plot synopsis. Um, go back to Curtin a little bit. I've had a pretty rough couple of days with uh, some stuff going on here. My cat's really sick, so I haven't had a chance to prepare a very well-written plot synopsis. I'm just going to wing this, so bear with me. You ready? I like how you're worried about your plot synopsis after mine last episode. <laughs> Yours was – oh, you did one last episode? Straight on till morning. Right, I you think didn't. that was me. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. It's time for some Robin Hood, ladies and gentlemen. You ready? You want to hear the story of Robin Hood? Or at least the time he was challenged by Hammer? Not, not really. Not really a big challenge here. So the movie opens. We're told the movie is a challenge for Robin Hood. We see a couple of people in the forest hunting deer. A man and his son. And as he's about to pull the trigger on his, I believe, cross was it a crossbow or was it a longbow? Nah, either way, he's going to shoot a royal deer because they're hungry. Well, just before the man pulls the string back and lets it rip, he himself gets shot with an arrow by the evil, and it was fired by the evil, I don't know, was it Roger that shot the arrow, guys? I can't remember. Was it Roger or Wallace? It was Roger. Was it Roger? Roger shoots him, shoots him dead, and... A lot of people die immediately when they get hit with arrows in this movie. Just keep that in mind. One arrow, you're done. They're done. big arrows. They, right, well, they are big arrows. Right between the shoulder blades. Yeah, see, if you wouldn't die. That, that's true. That's true. Now, the boy is still alive and witnesses all of this, and we see that Roger and Wallace are out in the forest being dicks, basically. Uh, supposedly <laughs> uh, protecting the king's land, their poachers, and how dare they go after the royal beasts. Well, they were hungry. It doesn't matter. Boy, you better run. And they tell the boy to run off, and Roger instructs Wallace to go after him with a crossbow. You know, Roger is just not a nice guy. This is where I thought he was a sociopath, and this is where I thought we were learning the real origin of Robin Hood. I thought that kid was going to grow up to be Robin Hood. That doesn't happen. Uh, instead, this kid runs across... Well, Robin Hood in, in the forest, and this is Robin's introduction to the film. And it turns out Robin and Roger are cousins. 
and all live together in the De Courtney castle with a third cousin as well as Robin's uncle, who is also Rogers, and this third cousin, whose name I'm forgetting. I think his name is Henry, his father. There's a little bit of a confrontation there, and Robin swears that he'll make this right. And I think at this point we also run into the Merry Men, but this is before they're called the Merry Men. They just seem like a ragtag bunch of people uh, who are disorganized and really need a leader who will get to in a little bit. Uh, Robin's threatened by these people at first. In fact, Alan O'Dale is not happy with him and threatens to kill him repeatedly because he's a oh, – one's a Norman, one's a Saxon. I always get them mixed up. He's a Norman. A Norman. And the Normans are bad and the Saxons are good and we get it. The boy convinces them that Robin saved his life, so they let him go. We go back to Roger and Henry kind of plotting and scheming and if they had long – Long mustaches, you know, Roger would be twirling his ineffectively, but he'd be twirling it anyway. And we learn that uh, Father de Courtney's older and very loyal to the king who is off fighting the Crusades. Robin comes in and kind of tattle. Well, I don't know if he does he tattletale. He, he, it's revealed here to the father that Roger and Wallace were out hunting small children. That sounds terrible in the woods. And, um, at some point, this is where Maid Marian shows up, right? Well, this is where Maid Marian and her maid and party show up looking for refugee, looking for shelter. Right. So they're brought in. There's a big dinner planned. And they're talking about King John, at which point it's either Maid Marian or her servant who I believe they just call Mary or really it was Natalie Portman straight out of episode one doing that thing. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> I got the same thought. Yeah. They mentioned that King, the King's been captured, which apparently gives daddy to Courtney a heart attack. And on his dying bed, he announces his will and makes sure all of his servants are in the room to hear it, including little John and Will Scarlet. And he, basically divvies up his kingdom and all of his worldly possessions between the two sons and the cousin. Well, this doesn't sit very well with Roger because he's not even your son. Well, he's been a better son to me than you ever will be. And then he dies. Now, Friar Tuck's in the room as well. And we have met Friar Tuck, who's this jolly little guy who loves to eat and gets along with everybody, likes to laugh. Ha ha ha. And he actually gets a little bit in the will as well, as do a few of the other people. But as soon as Daddy de Courtney dies, Roger takes the will tears it up and tosses it in the fire because he's a dick. <laughs> oh, um, Roger kills Henry frames Robin for the murder, convinces everybody Robin did it. Robin and Friar Tuck get away, but little John and Will Scarlet stick around. And I thought they would have taken off with them. And this is the disconnect for me. Oh, well, I thought they'd be Will together. Scarlet right? doesn't, doesn't choose to stick around. Well, that's true. He does help him escape, sort of. He covers their escape with a singular arrow that scares everybody back. So, of course, they're going to lock up Will Scarlet, or Roger's going to lock up Will Scarlet as a traitor. At this point, Robin's not in the castle. Henry's dead. The other DeCourtney, the DeCourtney dad's dead. So, Roger's pretty much running the show here at this point. We will, over the course of the movie, see the castle. And everything else start to run into the ground. In fact, every time we come back, we see the main chamber in a worse and worse state of disarray. 
because Roger to Courtney doesn't know anything about running people or affairs or anything other than just running his mouth. <laughs> Robin and the friar have taken off and they have found refuge in the Sherwood forest and they come across the merry men again. They're not called the merry men, just this group of ragtag people wearing non green clothing that becomes important later. And the boys with them and in a weird kind of thrust Perry Dodge moment, Robin proves himself with a quarterstaff against Alan O'Dale. And the next thing out of their mouth is, oh, well, you should be our leader then. <laughs> and the first thing Robin says is, that's great. First thing we need to do is get you in close and don't stand out. <laughs> I like the way you handle your stick. <laughs> Uh. Well, you're miss you're missing. Uh, please fill in the blanks here. You got anything? Well, you're missing one of my favorite parts of this: how Robin gets his name. Oh yes, Robin. You know he's Robin to Courtney, and of course, Alan Dale does not want to call him to Courtney. No. Well, <laughs> in this proving of his skills, they want to know if he's a good archer. Oh yes, that's right. So he, uh, they give ridiculous. Him a, they give him a bow, and uh, Robin tells the little kid to go get one of the pigeons and tie a piece of cloth to it, and then Friar Tuck takes his hood and puts it over Robin's head. The kid then releases the um, pigeon. Robin tracks it just by sound and shoots and takes off the um, ribbon that's been tied to the pigeon. So, of course, then at this point, he's already proven himself with the quarterstaff. He's also proven himself with a sword, and he's proven himself with the uh, bow and arrow. So he becomes the de facto leader because they need a leader. But <laughs> this is where Alan O'Dale says, I'm not going to call him to Courtney because that's evil and that's bad. And so the little kid who's standing behind him still has that hood on. He says, I know, we'll call him Robin Hood, and puts his hood back on Robin's face, and everybody starts laughing. <laughs> so that's how he becomes. I also like that. I also like that. That's how he got. Uh, I like the line about how he got his bow too. And the guy says, <laughs> "Anybody who could shoot like that deserves to keep it." I'll make another. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very. Uh, I don't know. It felt like you know, and I know Scott. You didn't do a lot of tabletop role playing games growing up. Casey, were you a gamer? Did you do D and D and things like that? Oh yeah. This felt like a party coming together moment in a role-playing game definitely it doesn't really make a lot of sense the way it happens but you know it has to happen for the story to begin that's how it felt to me and um remind me to get, to get back to the little kid i just discovered something very disturbing so remember remind me to get back to that anyway back to the story robin hood's with his merry men minus little john and will scarlet because little john's still back at the castle kind of keeping a low profile-ish except for when he's wrestling around but will scarlet he's going to get hung up literally they're going to string him up they're going to hang him at the fair well robin and company aren't going to let that happen we've got to go in there and save will scarlet and it wouldn't be bad to you know get lady marion out of there too it'd be kind of nice right they come up with a plan to get in there by taking over a pike men's cart because pies will serve to, as a wonderful weapon later against the guards. 
Uh, hey, George uh, Romero did it. <laughs> Maybe that's where he got the idea. I was that it. the Friars' idea? The Friars' idea was to eat all the pies. You know, along the way, the merry men are robbing the rich to give to the poor. There's that whole thing there. Also, the pie merchant was played by Alfie Bass, who was way over the top, but he also appeared in the Robin Hood TV series. Uh, it's two different characters, in fact. Now, one thing I want to ask you guys real quick about this whole scene where they um, take over the pie cart and the, and, the, and the pie dealer and everything. Did anybody else think this scene is where Mel Brooks got the scene where they take over the um, Mel Brooks' character with the wine? Didn't it seem like exact, the exact same scene from Men in Tights? Oh, yeah. Very I close. Ha- I haven't seen Men in Tights in forever. In fact, I think the last time I saw it was when I saw it in the theaters. Yeah, this scene reminded me so or, much or of the pulling scene. Yo- or pulling YouTube clips when I needed to drop some audio over something Scott says. Yeah, this scene reminded me so much of the Mel Brooks scene where Mel is uh, by himself uh, with a horse-drawn character, a carriage, but he's got a whole bunch of wine, sacri- sacrificial, sacramental wine, excuse me. And uh, they, t- they take over. And it just <laughs> it's so, it so reminded me of that scene that I'm thinking that Mel Brooks has seen this movie and that's where he got the idea for that scene. Sacrificial wine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the fair, a couple of important things happen. One, Robin finds a place to buy a whole bunch of Lincoln green fabric because apparently the Merry Men need a uniform. Uh, Two, he adopts the identity of a wrestler known as the Masked Monk. What's your name? <laughs> the Masked Monk. Very original, Robin. Very, very original. Well, they, the guy running the little wrestling match was, oh, the crowd will like that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the reason he needs to adopt the identity of a wrestler is because little John is out wrestling. And <laughs> I mean, Marion likes watching men wrestle, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was an odd kind of th- comment to throw out there. Anyway, uh, so they're wrestling around for everybody's entertainment. I mean, it's a fair, it's a medieval thing. So there's jousting earlier. There's now men wrestling. And in typical Carnegie type fashion, who can take on Little John? Anybody from the crowd? Anybody? And then the masked monk shows up. And Robin and Little John use this opportunity to exchange some dialogue and make a plan together and even start whispering moves to one another to help sell their wrestling performance. Not unlike a professional wrestling match today, except less steroids. Yeah, I was, I was thinking it probably that's probably the origin of the WWE. Sure. <laughs> Although I could see Leon <laughs> Green, I could see Leon Green being a pro wrestler. Yeah, he, he kind of had the, the height and the, the voice and the presence. I could see that. Yeah, either way, they're going to get Will Scarlet out, and they almost get away with it. If it wasn't for those darn kids. Well, if it wasn't for that darn sheriff, off, if it wasn't for the darn sheriff of Nottingham, who knew all along Robin Hood was here, because he's got his men in the crowd, proving once again that the sheriff is a much more effective leader of men and military-minded, no strategy, tactics, and all that, whereas Roger's just a blithering idiot, and he's got his guard standing out in plain view. So the sheriff's men know that Robin's there. They let the sheriff know. Sheriff lets it go along. He's going to play along because we'll, we'll bring the trap on him later, whatever. Well, it doesn't work out. Robin Hood gets caught as well. And he's about to get hung up with his buddy, Will Scarlet. And then a food fight starts. Get your pies for the great pie fight. <laughs> <laughs> Family-friendly film. 
all these swords, bows and arrows, crossbows, daggers. Nope. Pie fight. Yes. And everybody laughingly gets away. I did like the... So they're saving him from uh, the gallows, so to speak. Right. And there was a pretty cool scene, though. Despite the pie fight where somebody, and they didn't even show who threw it, somebody off scene throws a dagger up there and sticks it in the wood right next to uh, Robin Hood so he can cut himself loose. I thought that was fairly slick. Oh, well, it was kind of a cool moment. Yeah. It was helpful. <sighs> and the movie should have just ended here. There was really no reason for them to continue, was there? Did, did Roger take somebody with him back to the castle? Why do they even bother going back to the castle? I forget. Oh, at this point, uh, no. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Everybody, everybody uh, escapes. Um, Robin has made Marion. All of the merry men escape. No, no one's captured. This is where we do learn that who we've been told has made Marion is really an imposter. Probably somebody from the kitchens. Her serving girl, Mary, is actually made Marion, played by Gay Hamilton, who's keeping a low profile. Who, as Stephen the boy tells us, our father always told her to hide in the kitchens if something bad happened. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Earlier, when you said that the little kid you thought was going to be Robin, when he, mm-hmm. early on he mentions that uh, Marion is his sister, I'm like, oh, they're going to go a weird direction because I thought the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> a Luke and Leia moment where they don't know, and then yes, <gasps> either that or Game of Thrones. I didn't know which way it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I need a moment. <laughs> ah, well played, Scott. Well played. So the movie should have just ended, but I suppose we need a little bit more conflict and there's more conflict. There's a big fight at the end, the end of the movie. <laughs> they do have to go back to the castle. Robin does. Oh, that's right. Roger got his hands on the boy, right? Roger took the boy. Well, the sheriff of Nottingham sends his men into the forest. That's right. Thank you. They yes. There's up the fake fires. The fake fire to draw the – because they know where the camp is. They've captured a bunch of men. They bring them into the camp. Overnight, Friar Tuck apparently spends more time eating his food than watching the guards. And the guards get out and they will eventually come back to smoke out the merry men from the encampment. When, when all the men take off, the guards kill much and not a lot. The, the not a lot. Just, much. Yeah, yeah. Played <laughs> by Reg, Reg Lai. I, I was not familiar of the story of much in the Robin Hood story. I, Scott, grammar, we're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> but And they, they take Marion and the boy back. He to the is a Disney connection, by the way, that you missed, buddy. Much was in Unidentified Flying Oddball. Oh, my. Oh, snap. <laughs> I've never seen it. Get that. called out much? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've forgotten about that movie. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so excited. No, it's not that good. <laughs> He was he was a prisoner in that film. <laughs> so much is killed. The boy and Maid Marion are stolen and taken back to the castle. So Robin and company have to go get him. But Robin has this weird plan that 
apparently he's told everybody but the people running the camera because who knows what's really going to happen here. He just shows up at the castle and offers himself up. Unless I closed my eyes for a very long time and nodded off. Did you know what the hell was going on here? Well, he gave the note to the head guy in the kitchen or the somebody. He gave actually right. gave a note to him when he came in the castle. But then, you know, I didn't figure out what was going on. Okay, so it wasn't just me kind of nodding off or whatever. There's this kind of – they had a discussion. There was a scene that maybe didn't get shot. Moving on. They were making their plans. He shows up at the castle, offers himself in exchange for the boy and made Marion. Well, Rogers, <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that. And he captures Robin and puts him in the coldest dungeon cell they could find. The coldest, wettest. Ah, yes. Because we must have Robin, who looks a little dirty and worse for wear here for some reason or other, before he even gets there. Suffering. Is that when they snuck in with the duck hats? Yeah, I was getting to the duck hats. <laughs> Those were awesome. They were. I want a duck hat. And we got the awesome little bit as they're sneaking in through the moat with these fake ducks on their head. And, you, of course, you got the two guards who are starving because, you know, the Rogers is an idiot and can't run. You know, they don't have any food or anything. So it's like, oh, we're going to have roast duck tonight. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Casey's referring to this scene where they're supposed to sneak across the moat and go through the secret entrance at the what was his what was his role there the he was like head butler or something yeah he had apparently shown Robin as a boy a secret entrance to get in and out of the castle and Robin's going to use that to get back into the or get his men back into the castle so as they're going across the moat they're wearing these decoy hats to swim underneath and they. <laughs> ridiculous but again maybe that's the family friendly vibe they were going for one of them actually shoots one of the ducks one of the guards up on the castle shoots one of the ducks and it just keeps going because they're hungry <laughs> well the duck keeps fl- swimming by and the guards look at each other do you see what I see <laughs> they don't go investigate they just you know moving what, to the next what time. the hell yeah wh- what Roger brings Robin back up from the dungeon to string him up by the fire to give him some warmth to heat him up and just further taunting. The Merry Men do find their way back into the castle and they fight. And the movie ends when they win. The sheriff gets away. Um, frustrated because he really, really wanted some special alone time with Maid Marion. Didn't get any of it. He wanted to warm her up. He wanted to keep her warm in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, takes, what do you mean what do you mean by that um aerobics they were gonna do some aerobics oh okay some cardio you know <laughs> good to know <laughs> they take the castle yay there's some loss of life but not a heck of a lot because family friendly not a lot of blood and the fight ends just as it was getting enjoyable yeah, that's true. The fight starts to get really good, and then it comes to an end, and the sheriff gets away. I mean, he takes off, and that's that's the last time we see the sheriff. The next day, the merry men are kind of lamenting, well, I guess Robin's going back to his castle. Oh, what are we going to do now? And they turn the corner, and there's Friar Tuck marrying Robin and made Mary, and not literally Mary. Well, I mean, he's performing the marrying of the – you know what I mean, which surprises okay. everybody because apparently – this courtship happened over the course of what two days, and they kept it on the down low. I don't know. They get married, and they talk about 
taking a break for a day because that's as long as they need for a honeymoon and then getting back to the work of freeing the rest of the men from Sheriff of Nottingham. And then the movie ends. It really could have been another, I don't know, feel like a setup. There could be a series springing out of this. Oh, it's definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Now, I did skip over a few parts, partly because, again, stress outside stuff, but um, the singing number, the musical number, was something that stood out to me. It's good or bad. You know, <laughs> I don't know if they dubbed some of the singing voices, uh, meaning they brought in another actor or actress to, I guess it would be actor, to do the the singing part I liked whoever voiced the singing of Leon Green of Little John whether that was his natural voice recorded in a studio and dumped in later or whatever I thought he had a good rich voice and I could sit there and listen to him sing the story of Robin Hood mm-hmm. if some of the words rhymed a little bit more uh, Old Man River yeah just like that <laughs> I thought it was odd that there's this concern that they're going to find the, the Merry Men in the Sherwood Forest, that they want to kind of keep hidden, that sort of thing. But let's have a loud, raucous party, singing as loud as we can as a group, you know, that sort of thing. Granted, it's night, so maybe they're not overly worried about them being people in the wood. Maybe there are guards posted up elsewhere. Who knows? Well, I was going to say, at this point, we've already seen their their guards early on, the way that they yeah. are shooting the colored arrows back and forth as messages, which I, I actually thought was a clever idea. I thought, yeah. yeah. There, are neat, there are little moments in this, little nuggets that are really cool. And I actually, Peter Cushing notwithstanding, I think I enjoyed this one the most of the three Robin Hood films because there are so many neat little bits of business performances, elements here and there that I really enjoy overall. I can agree with that. I thought it was a pretty great bit of storytelling in the end. Was it mind-blowing? Was it my favorite uh, Robin Hood storytelling ever? No. It was pretty enjoyable, though. I think uh, they pulled off uh, with their Robin Hood in this movie. I think they, you know, the actor pulled it off pretty well. I think it was written fairly well. So it was kind of cool. And the family spin on it, you know, did make it seem a little off from what we're used to, but it, they, I think they did a good job with it and kept it fairly enjoyable and action-y for the time period. For me, yeah. th- for me, this is easily the, my favorite of the three Hammer Robin Hood films. Holy crap. Yeah. Are we all agreeing on something? <laughs> <laughs> Casey's not the odd one. Scott's not the odd one. I mean, it's this is... Wow. This film... That's a- it. I hope you enjoyed our show. Bye-bye. Yeah, let's stop all our head. Let's call it Right here. <laughs> no. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> Give me a second. He sounds verklempt. Is he crying because we all agreed finally? <laughs> <laughs> no, this this was, from, from top to bottom, I enjoyed uh, this film much more than the other two Robin Hood films. The other ones, there was parts of them that I liked, but there was more that I didn't like. This one, I, I really enjoyed Robin Hood. I really enjoyed um, the sheriff. Now, like I said earlier, the weakest is is Roger because I thought he was more incompetent than evil. Right. Yeah. That is the weakest part of this film. Um, Maid Marian is kind of an afterthought, really. She doesn't really do a whole yeah. lot in this film. Yeah, and, I thought Maid Marian was really kind of a disappointment. 
She has a very strong scene very early in the film where she slaps the sheriff. And in fact, uh, that's when Tracy walked in the room while I was watching it. And she immediately says, ooh, I like her already. But then <laughs> they don't do anything with that spite, that um, you know, feistiness that she has. She just kind of becomes a, an afterthought the rest of the film. Yeah, it Arm is too candy. bad. I, and I, yeah. I, that moment, don't you know who I am? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you in the shadows. And he steps out and she slaps him again. That's great. Yes. <laughs> Outside that scene, though, I mean, I really can't get over the fact that, I mean, they've really made made Marion just seem kind of like she eh, sat and round and whined a lot. She's a prop. Yeah, she yeah. is. But having said that, I, I, I enjoyed the setup of this film. I enjoyed how they changed the origin of Robin Hood. I enjoyed uh, the intrigue between the brothers and the cousin. Uh, it, even though Roger could have been stronger, I enjoyed the the setup of it. Yeah, I I think there are elements in the other films that we enjoy as standalone elements a lot. Peter Cushing is the sheriff, the first friar tuck from the first film. But overall, as a film, I think this one is more enjoyable. I was on board. I believed this Robin. I believed this Robin so much more than the last one. You yeah. Know, I mean, I just, I, I liked it a lot. I'd, I'd watch another movie with this group going off and doing more. Yeah. I want to see this group going off and, and going after the sheriff now. Oh, yeah. Because I think the sheriff is the bigger bad. And I think it yep. would, you, you could really build up and have a good sequel to this. Yep. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I really like this set up other than Roger. I really like and, and Mary and I really did like everybody in this. You know, and I can even handle Roger as what he was knowing that he was so incompetent because I'd like to believe that the sheriff also knew that. Like we were saying at the beginning of this that we feel like the sheriff was just waiting for him to wear himself out and I'm just like, okay, you've had your fun. Now, now I'm in charge. You know, but yeah, overall, I, I agree with you, too. Uh, Gay Hamilton, we didn't talk very much about her at the beginning of this because she doesn't have a lot to do in the film. She appeared in a 1966 TV series of The Hunchback of Notre Dame where she played Esmeralda. Interesting. I'd be, real, I'd be curious to see her do other things. I feel like she probably is a decent actress. She just wasn't given a lot to do in this. Overall, though, yeah, I'm on board with you, too. And uh, how awesome that the three of us are on the same page. That's great. Oh, God, this is awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long. Yeah, this one I'll probably go back sometime and watch again. I enjoyed it yeah. that much. Yeah, even more so than the other uh, Hammer Robin Hood movies, too. I don't really feel the urge to go back to those, and I kind of forget most of them. This one really stands out. I could see watching this again. So definitely a recommend from the three of us. Challenge for Robin Hood. And if this is the last one they did, and I think it is, they went off on a high note. Yeah. It really did. And a little sad that they didn't do a sequel to this one or something. Because like like we said, we'd all like to see further adventures of this Robin Hood and these Merry Men. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing to see them go off and do more. And just to really spend more time with the villain, I would love to see more with that that sheriff. 
I want to see more dance numbers from him. <laughs> and I want to see Azim int- invent uh, gunpowder and telescopes. Uh. <laughs> oh, incidentally, I'm Alan Adeo, a minstrel. Oh, that's an early day folk singer. And my job is to tell it like it is, or was, or whatever. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. So unfortunately, this is not easily available on DVD right now. I don't think it's available as a region two DVD right now. Okay. Um, Amazon U uh, S actually has it right now for 1499, but it is a region two. So it's an import. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I go over to DVD compare.net, it looks like there have been releases in the UK from optimum releasing. And then there's also a German edition as well. So if you have a region free DVD player, you can, Catch it that way. It has been released on DVD here in the States before, but it's just out of print. So you might find a copy of it that way. And it's worth um, to track down. I think so. Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. Can I go back to that kid real quick? Yes. No. Oh, God. You're outvoted. So we kept, <laughs> we kept calling him the kid. I'm going to do it anyway. We kept calling him the kid. And so I looked and was like, oh, yeah, his name is Steven. And then I looked up the name of the actor who played Steven, who I just lost. I don't have my screen here for a second. Great story, Derek. <laughs> Good story, bro. John <laughs> Gukla? Yeah. Gukla? So I pull him up on the IMDb. And I'm looking at some of these other titles to see if anything catches my eye. And the movie Revenge of Billy the Kid caught my eye. From 1992. Have either of you seen this movie? No, I haven't. Okay, it's unfortunately this. Okay, don't. I I can't do it justice, so I'm just going to read to you the IMDb synopsis. The horny farmer McDonald has his wicked way with a goat. (laughs) Life returns to normal for the family until the goat gives birth. The mutant offspring, called Billy is tormented by the fa- farmer's son. <laughs> Only the daughter feels any pity for him. It isn't long before Billy, who keeps growing bigger, plans revenge. You had me at Wicked Way with a goat. So I'm familiar with this movie because I read about this movie in an issue of Fangoria before it came out on video here in the States. And I remember distinctly reading about how they got a bunch of dead sheep and all that from some lab or wherever. Maybe it was a farm. Who knows? To use as, you know, props in the film. And at one point, (laughs) I don't know why this stands out to me. The director looked at the special effects man, gave him a screwdriver and said, that goat doesn't look dead enough. Fix it. Uh, (laughs) What the hell? So this was uh, a movie that John Gakolka was in. It was his last film, uh, according to the Internet Movie Database. However, it's not the only person from... The Challenge for Robin Hood uh, made that movie. Also, Norman Mitchell appeared in Revenge of the Billy the Kid. And Norman Mitchell was the Dre driver. I'm assuming he's the guy who, yeah, he's the guy who uh, was traveling with the pie vendor and pretty much saved the pie vendor's life in The Challenge for Robin Hood. He also turned up in Revenge of Billy the Kid in 1992. 
Wow. Aren't you glad I came back to this? Yes. You ready for the? T- you want to hear the tagline of the movie? Old McDonald had a farm, and on that farm he had a goat. Da 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 da. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that sheep doesn't look dead enough. Here's a screwdriver. Go fix it. What was the title of that one again? Revenge of Billy the Kid. You're going to watch it and cover it on Cinema Fromage, aren't you? It sounds perfect. <laughs> God. Listeners, if you're still there, seek out Challenger Robin Hood. Don't, don't <laughs> find this other film they're talking about. E-I-E-I-O. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. E-I-E-I-O, uh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. That was bad. <laughs> I agree. Challenge for Robin Hood. Much better film than Revenge of Billy the Kid. Highly recommend Challenge for Robin Hood. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about the guy who saved the pie vendor's life. I like him a lot. Uh, he just was this kind of bumbling. I, I would watch a story with him and the pie vendor going off and doing something. Oh, Those I two were too. fun together. Uh, that actor, Douglas Mitchell, also appeared in Curse of the Crimson Altar, which is one of my guilty pleasure favorite, even though I should know better, Boris Karloff films. And Christopher Lee was in that. Anyway, challenge for Robin Hood. Anybody else have any uh, non-related to Hammer whatsoever comments to make? (laughs) (laughs) I think we're good. Now, we all liked this film. (laughs) Does it uh, crack either of anybody's top five? No. No. Revenge of Billy the Kid might, though. (laughs) No, this would be a top ten, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think if I was doing like a list of favorite non-horror hammer, I'd put this on there. Be pretty high up. Yeah. It's hard for me to bump all over. I just wanted to let everybody know, I just sent the link to uh, Revenge of Billy the Kid to my wife, Colleen, who's my co-host over on Cinema. (laughs) Oh, no. The only response I got back was OMG. (laughs) The only response it deserves. (laughs) Oh, I really hope you can get your hands on it, Casey. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, list of top 10 non-horror hammer for me. I would go that far. Hell, I'd say top five. It's just hard for me to break away from the horror when it comes to hammer or the genre stuff, you know? Yeah, this this is definitely one that you have to be told is a hammer film. Because it doesn't have any of the trope or any of the trappings that a, a Hammer film has, but is quite <laughs> enjoyable. the tropings. The tropings. <laughs> the tropings. Yes. The trappings. I like tropings. We should uh, we should make that a thing. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Solid pick. I'm glad we did it. Yes, I am. Agreed. Too. Whoever put that on our viewing list was on top of things. Did that person make up for last month's? Did Casey just drop Uh, the mic? (laughs) (laughs) 
I just hear this thud. It's like, oh no. Uh, I bumped it, sorry. <laughs> so did the person yeah, make no, it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's it's yeah. We'll let him live this time. Well, hopefully you guys will be happy with what's coming up next month, which oh, is Oh yeah. Dracula has risen from the grave for our Have either of you October seen film. that one? Have you seen that? Nope. Yes. This will be a first time viewing for me. Veronica Carlson, man. Yes. She's awesome. Did we did we interview did you interview her, Scott? Um, I'll have to double check. I can't if, remember if she was one or not. I believe so, but I'm not 100% sure. Because if that's the case, that means we might have a bumper for her, right? From her? I'm pretty sure I have a bumper for her. That would be amazing to run that, and that because it would be, like, perfect. I'm pretty <laughs> sure she's got bumpers, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> we were originally going to do a double recording back-to-back listeners uh, of John Robin and Dracula has risen from the grave because October is just kind of crazy for us. So I actually watched Dracula has risen from the grave first and uh, man, I'm looking forward to talking about that one with you too. Really am. Yeah. I still haven't watched it because I hadn't watched it to the point to where we changed our plans. So. Right. Cause, cause ladies and gentlemen, I want to announce it here. Casey's getting married this afternoon. <laughs> yes. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. He's going to a wedding. I, I got confused. <laughs> As a wedding gift, Casey, Scott and I will pitch in and get you a copy of Revenge of Billy the Kid. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, I'm looking forward to that one. That'll be fun. Get a little bit more Christopher Lee, a little bit of the gothic horror in. Get in a little bit of uh, Veronica Carlson. It'll be great. And then we'll follow that up in November. We're going to go back to... One, yes. The very beginning of Hammer Films yes. with Phantom Ship. Yes. Mm. Yes. Now, have you guys you need seen, a moment? Have you guys yes. seen Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Derek, have you seen it? I don't think I have. I mean, I, I keep meaning to sit down and watch it. And I did start it um, year, a while back, but it's like, you know, I, I want to I save it for the show. Because it's Bela. Yes. This will be odd because this is one that I have seen. I actually saw it on a print at um, a convention. Monster Bash, right? Yes. And uh, you guys have not seen it, so this will be so a little good. bit different. So I mean, you're going to spend the whole show, the whole episode going, <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to love this part. <laughs> I just hope <laughs> you guys dig it because I, oh. I, I enjoy it. And it's... I can't remember exactly. It's from the 30s. I can't remember the exact yeah. release date, but it's it's an older one. You have nothing to worry about with me, Scott. Bela Lugosi, I'm already more than halfway in. Bela can do, you know, Bela can be in the worst god-awful movie ever, and he's been in quite a few of those. I will still find something to enjoy with Bela because he is my boy. Uh, he's one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio. Uh, he is the man, so... I can't wait. Well, then after November uh, comes December on the calendar, as most people know. <laughs> really, Scott? And it's also Derek's birthday pick. And we're actually going to do something a little odd. We're going to go Hammer House of Horror TV episode, The House That Bled to Death. That'll be fun. I hope. I haven't watched that episode yet, so I'll be going into it cold. 
I've not watched any of the TV episodes, so this should be interesting. Their TV was an interesting mix. Sometimes they were really good, and sometimes it was just like, uh... But it was an interesting experiment, Hammer getting on television. So I'm excited about that. And then to wrap up our announced schedule, we have January 2016, The Pirates of Blood River. I figured one of you guys would yell out a big R at that point. Was it yesterday like Toxic Pirate Day or some shit? I I hope not. I don't know. I don't know when that is. Clearly. So that that is our announced upcoming schedule. Uh, I need to start looking at uh, February and beyond of 2016. need to get with uh, Casey to see what he would like to pick for his birthday next year. Yeah. That's what well, that's February, right? That's yeah, February. Yes. And I've not decided if I'm acknowledging that birthday yet. So we haven't decided yet. It, Which well, birthday is it? 42. If I choose to acknowledge it. Why are you not acknowledging the answer to life, the universe, and everything? <laughs> Maybe I don't want to know the answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's my birthday. This is the 42. Because we're just a bunch of kids compared to Scott. Yep. I will say yep. one thing about your pick. It cannot be the revenge of Billy the Kid. Aww. Because it's not a Hammer film. <laughs> but it's got two Hammer connections. Come on, Scott. Yes. I found them. I will bring my hammer and make you watch it. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I haven't thought about that in years and why I remembered that. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm glad you did though. I'm seriously going to try and track that down. (laughs) Holy crap. Oh no, guys. The director of Revenge of Billy the Kid is a guy by the name of Jim Groom, who in 2013 edited a documentary called The Legend of Hammer Mummies. I've got it here, uh, and it's like a recap of all their mummy films, kind of diving into their mummy movies. <laughs> Holy Great. crap. Oh, he also direct he directed it. <laughs> <coughs> And he directed The Legend of the Hammer Vampires as well, which is also, oh my, this is perfect. Scott, we have to talk about this on the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> only, only, only if you can find a Disney connection. Now Give me 20 looking. minutes. Give me 20 <laughs> minutes. 20 minutes and Wikipedia. Hold on a second. <laughs> and it has to be a direct link. I don't want, you know, so-and-so was with so-and-so was with so-and-so. He was an uncredited person in this movie. <laughs> I found the movie. <laughs> you found the movie? Yes, oh, I, I did. I, I actually did, too. Why are you looking for it? <laughs> actually, mine is, is, is weak. It's, but it, it could be argued such. What? Art department. Julian Cadlow. He was in the art department for X-Men First Class, which is a Marvel property owned by Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, if you have a copy of um, (laughs) The Revenge of Billy the Kid and want to get in touch with Casey to get that to him... 
<laughs> you can give us a call here at 1951 Downplace at area code 765-203-1951. If you want to talk about other things that are more Hammer-related, you can also use that phone number. You can also email us at podcast at 1951downplace.com and uh, check out our website over at 1951downplace.com where you'll find the episode list and uh, links to all of our old episodes. We can also be found on Facebook. We've got a Facebook group and a page. Just search for 1951downplace. And Twitter. And Twitter. Twitter.com slash 1951downplace. Revenge of Billy the Kids has a five-star review on Amazon. <laughs> Signed, Derek. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm getting Casey for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Challenge for Robin Hood was a good, good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I did, too. All right, so we mentioned a couple of times Casey's other podcast where I'm sure this is going to come up. Cinema Fromage, which he produces with his wife, Colleen. Yes. It's monthly, Where we're, it? No, it's, it's weekly. It's oh, uh, weekly dedicated now? to the B-movie that's got rules in place. It's got to be a movie that's never seen a theatrical release, and it's got to be a movie that neither I or Colleen have seen. And it's got to have goat sex. Uh, well. <laughs> that's just a bonus. <laughs> it's not a requirement, but, you know, we're not going to say no. <laughs> that gets you bumped at the top of the list. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. So we have a good time on there. So come check us out and join us. Especially if you like B movies. We don't stay anywhere near as classy as we do here on 1951 Down Place. Yeah, because this has been classy. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can also find Derek over at Monster Kid Radio, the award winning podcast devoted to monster kid films that actually finally after years of waiting features an episode with casey uh, no way it was pretty awesome it was a special moment for me i'm glad why we waited. because i shut up <laughs> it was actually a fun episode i did listen to it see it's gonna be a second award is that, is that going to bump me to the top of the list? Hell yes. <laughs> of course, Scott, when he's not slumming up with us over here, he's kicking it with his wife, Tracy, over at DisneyIndiana.com twice a week. No, twice a month. Twice Every a other month. week. Yes. Whatever. Every two weeks, he puts out a new episode. Every two weeks, he puts out a new episode with his wife, Tracy. <laughs> uh, and they talk about all sorts of wholesome Disney stuff. That is right. In fact, our last episode, we our, our recent episode, we got to sit down with the story uh, director for Avalanche Entertainment, which is the group behind the Disney Infinity video game. Nice. I take it Revenge Billy the Kid's not going to show up there in Disney Indiana. Uh, no, it will not show up there in Disney <laughs> Indiana. Uh, you know, you mentioned goat sex, and that just you know, <laughs> you go off the list there. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow now as we get closer to the release of the new star wars film you and tracy are doing kind of a countdown thing aren't you scott 
Yes, we are uh, going to be doing something interesting. Instead of looking at the old films, we have invited um, friends and podcasters to come on and talk a little bit about their Star Wars memories. Is this going to be a situation where we talk about having Casey in that inviting inv- invitation list, but he just never comes because you never really make it happen? I invited Casey. Yeah. Didn't First I, time hearing of it. I thought I invited you. <laughs> Whatever. Did, did hey, I, Casey, did you were I on not? Monster Kid Radio before you were on Disney Indiana. No, he's been on Disney Indiana no, already. I've been on Disney before. When? Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, the same curses. time you were. <laughs> yes. We talked about Dr. Sin. That's right. I'm hoping to contribute. Not as 80s metal as it sounds. <laughs> I'm hoping to contribute to that countdown to Star Wars as well with a segment. And uh, Casey, you should do that. That'll be fun. I would like to, too. I enjoy Star Wars. Did, did I? Seriously, did I send you something? <laughs> yeah, I think you did send me the email. Okay, okay good. Because if not, I was going to. Because <laughs> you, can free feel, you can feel free to send it to me again. <laughs> hey, can I add, you know, we are way off topic, and I apologize, listeners, but I'm going to try to reel it back a little bit to something a little Hammer-related, or at least related to stuff that we really do care about here on 1951 Down Place. Yeah, because we don't care about Disney Indiana. We don't care about Revenge of Billy the Kid. Um, (laughs) Really? I mean, do we? I don't know. Maybe we should watch it together and find out. Anyway. No. What are your your guys' thoughts on the idea that Tarkin is going to turn up in some of the Star Wars films? Tarkin was, of course, played by Cushing in A New Hope. I am really curious to see that because... I have been of the mind that as technology gets more and more advanced, I'm just waiting for, you know, the next movie that's going to be starring Marilyn Monroe or, you know, James Dean or something like that. I, I, I see that's the way Hollywood's going. So this is an early attempt at that. And I'm really yeah. curious to see what that's going to be like. What do you think, Casey? Could be cool. But I, I mean, I agree pretty much with Scott. We've seen uh, Tupac in concert as a hologram now. So, yeah, who the hell knows what they're going to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. As, I mean, they are. Did they say they are going to go all CG with that? That's what I've heard. And really, I think where it's going to make or break is who does the voice. Yes. He's got such a distinct voice. Doesn't that character turn up in some of the Star Wars cartoons they're doing, though? Yes, he does. He shows. Uh, he has shown up in uh, recent episodes of, I think, Star Wars Rebels. But do I, you know who does the voice on that? Unfortunately, I do not. Does he sound okay? I don't know because I haven't been watching it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he sounds fine. <laughs> do, does Disney know that you're not watching their show? They do now. If they're listening to this, but they probably <laughs> turned it off on all the talk of goat sex. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they've been, they've done similar things like this. They, uh, I remember a Tales from the Crypt episode where the guy got surgically altered to look like Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, it was a Robert Zemeckis episode that yes. came out around the time of Forrest Gump, I believe. It's a very good episode. Yeah, and it's all through his eyes. So every time you see him in a mirror, it's Humphrey Bogart looking back at him. So, I mean, they've been experimenting with that for a while, but I don't know. It'll be weird to see an artificial Peter Cushing 
that looks like Peter Cushing as opposed to like a cartoon rendering or something. Yep. Hmm. Well, you've got uh, what Disney did with um, the Neutron film as well, where they de-aged the dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like there's something... Because, I mean, Brad Pitt got de-aged in the film, and, I mean, you can do a lot with that, but I don't know, man. But I see that more as, as sort of like motion capture, because you still got yeah. the, the original actor, and you still got the voice. But now, you've got nothing to start with, except for, you know, what's what's they did, they did in the past. So it's going to be interesting. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said it's really going to be interesting. Was it an actor playing the character in uh, the th- in episode three, or was that CG enhanced? Because he does turn up at the very, very, very end. He doesn't speak, but you see him standing next to the emperor. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I, it's been so long since I've watched episode three or any of the prequels. By design. So I can't remember if that was a person or if it was all CG. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Star Wars. It was played by a dude. Wayne Pygram. Who doesn't look a damn thing like Peter Cushing. What the hell? He may have the same body style and they just CG'd Peter's face on it like was done with Arnold in the recent Terminator film. Huh. This is, I'm setting you his IMDb page. Because this makes awesome podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, hold tight while I read this. <laughs> yeah. Come back next month on 1950 Down Place, where we spend 20 minutes sharing links with each other. <laughs> oh, he was the bad guy in uh, Farscape. Cool. Yeah. I don't see Peter Cushing in that at all. And, but of course, I go straight to the cheeks. I don't see the cheekbone structure. I don't want to. I don't want to know what you think of Peter Cushing's cheeks. <laughs> Either set. Why you got to go there, man? <laughs> because you're a super fan. I am a super fan. Oh well. Has this shown? <laughs> have we wound down enough? Are we winding down now? Is it I time believe to go? so. I think so. Casey's got a wedding. Yes, right? and Casey's Red Bull's wearing off. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for me to stop being so entertaining, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us, sticking around while we kind of petered off, huh? Huh? Uh, 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 And we'll see you next month. (laughs) Yes, we will. Or at least you'll hear us next month for Dracula has risen from the grave. Next month we will be in in your – I can't even go there. Never mind. I, in your words, Kim, I need to cough. Bye. Into my eyes.